Hello. Hi, Mom. Hi. So what did you think about this one? For once, the concept of what they're doing, I could appreciate what this could have done for me. Is that because you used to run a business? I ran a small law firm with two partners and three associates. Were you happy with your bank? It was in the building. So it was convenient, but it was just a bank. Yeah. It didn't tell me any information that I could have used. So when Aton talks about North One being a small business bank account that's connected to billing and sales information and all that stuff, you see how that could have helped you? I can imagine all the things that we've done separately. And they could have been incorporated and it would have made things a whole lot smoother. Mm -hmm. We had someone sitting there opening the checks. That takes time away. And every time they stop and do that, that takes longer than the actual time it took to stop and do it. Because your mind has to get back into what you were doing. So this way, no one would be spending time like that. I could see that happening in a lot of financial matters in the company. I think Eitan will be very happy to hear. You would have liked to have had it. Yes, although I don't know what it costs. I think it's something like 10 to $50 a month. Really? So let's <laughs> see, $50 a month is $600 a year. That is amazing. I wouldn't put that out there because people are think, oh my God, this is so cheap. <laughs> I'll tell Eitan you said so. I think everyone with a small business should call them immediately. This is The Bigger Narrative. I'm Andy Raskin, and I'm so happy to tell you that my guest for this episode is Eitan Ben-Susan, CEO of North One. North One started as an online bank for small businesses. It's backed by top-tier VCs, including Redpoint and Battery Ventures. But the vision from the beginning was to go beyond banking, to all kinds of automation and intelligence around things like billing, cash management, stuff that big companies take for granted, but that small ones still struggle with. As North One began rolling out these capabilities, it was clearly becoming something more than a bank. But Eitan and his team struggled to align on how to talk about exactly what that new thing was. We eventually built a narrative together around what North One now calls connected banking. We'll dive into that, but first I asked Eitan for some background on why he reached out to me in the first place. It started with me picking up small little data points. Different employees at the company, different people on the team articulate what we were doing in very different ways. Starting to hear different investors of ours have different understandings of how to express what we did. It then came to speaking to a number of customers and asking them to play back to us how they saw us and what they thought we were building towards. And I realized that there was just, there are so many different versions of the truth, sometimes even dated by history. You know, if you were from this moment, that's how we were talking about things. And, you know, six months later, we had a slightly different approach and you can see that one in the data. But I just saw that there were a number of different narratives around what we did, why we were doing it, what we were all building towards, even if it was broadly going to a similar place, they were different enough that you couldn't actually recognize it sometimes. You were having some good success to that point. So what was the problem with that? You know, at the time it wasn't, right? So at the time when we were articulating different versions of what we did, it was a natural evolution, right? It was highly influenced by fundraising sequences and hiring sequences where you're trying to give your best possible version. Like you're figuring it out as you're going and it's changing yeah. and it's and that's natural. Exactly. And depending on who you're onboarding, when you're figuring it out, they're, they're going to get your latest flavor. It's the best testing ground. But we started realizing that it was leading to confusion. The two places that got me really worried 
about it was on the customer side and the team side. You know, on the customer side, what was so important for us was having them understand where we're going with it all. That the product is always iterating, but for them to understand what's it going towards and what's at the end of the rainbow for them. And when they were not necessarily saying what I thought was going to be, you know, was the actual case, we I had realized that we, we were not selling them. We were not communicating the value proposition effectively. So that was the first like jolt of electricity. And then, especially with the team, as we saw people have slightly different variations, it was increasing the need for hands-on management, right? You're constantly worried about, you know, pieces of the product, the, the marketing not talking to the engineering the right way. If, if engineering thinks that they're, the product is moving in one direction, marketing is like, you know, five, 10 degrees off of that. Over time, it actually create considerable gaps. And when I started seeing that there were just various versions, not through any sort of intent, but actually through just the course of time, mm-hmm. you know, and as you know, so everybody says, you know, you got to communicate the vision over and over and over again. You hear that from everyone like this and, and you're doing that. The problem is I was even communicating at different times. Like I, you know, one week I'd say slightly different thing just because that's the moment. And then the next week was a slightly different one. So I myself was doing a disservice. So I realized that I needed a real rigor and structure around how I was going to talk from now on. And how everybody else needed to talk that would translate into their their work. What were some of the ways that people would describe it that you felt were kind of off or different or what were some of the things people were saying? Yeah, I mean, and, and none of them were wrong. The amusing part of it, they were actually all right, but they were parts of the big picture. We would talk about ourselves as a challenger bank for small businesses. We talk about how fast we're able to get things done for customers. We're talking about how over time, we want to have be a platform for integrations where you can connect many of your different business schools around the bank account. And we'd use things like you can think of it as the operating system. I mean, just whatever was de jour at that time was how we were expressing it. And you'd hear that. And that had very different connotations. You know, a platform sounds more open, right? But an operating system sounds like it doesn't have to be something that connects to third-party tools. It's supposed to be all-encompassing. And those articulations were actually leading to... I'd say kind of versionitis of what we were doing. And that actually caught my attention a few times for a couple of the leadership team to say, I think we need to kind of consolidate how we're talking about it because it's it'll have negative impact and we're not going to know. The real danger for us was that, you know, you start marketing to customers who are going to be thinking they're getting something because the marketing team thought that that's how they were articulating it. But actually, we were building something slightly different. And that leads to kind of the silent churn of people just kind of being underwhelmed that the promise was not really what the actual product was. And we wanted to really correct that as quickly as we could. So how do you talk about it now? If someone says, oh, what do you guys do? Like, where where do you go? How do you get into it? We actually talk about our offering is we are providing connected banking for businesses. And what, what connected banking is, is at the core, there's an FDIC entered bank account with all of the transactional banking tools a business needs, like wires and ACHs and checks and ATMs and customer support, et cetera. But really that acts as a connected hub for all of the other activities that those businesses need to accomplish. Things like managing your payables, your receivables, your team spending, your controllership activities. And so in many ways, you know, North One is banking and team spending and receivables and controllship all in one place. And this connected banking umbrella, which brings it to life. Do you want to talk about your experience that led to this narrative? Absolutely. So prior to North One, I spent just under six years at McKinsey. And one of the larger areas of focus that I'd had was going to very large companies and looking at their finance function 
And, you know, they were typically spending 30, $40 million a year just on running the finance function. And we'd come in and have to figure out how do we make this thing run on 10 million or $15 million a year. And what it ultimately was a lot of the leverage these companies would get would be by connecting all the different tools and information flows and processes that were, you know, strewn across these companies. And so I, I saw this idea that things were becoming connected in the back office of these companies. And then a few years later, I noticed the same philosophical concept starting to move to the mid-market. The rise of companies like Divi and Airbase and Ramp and Brex were really bringing this idea of a productized version of the connected back office, everything from payables to receivables to spending, et cetera. And I was interested when we first started working that a lot of these tools like explicitly say we don't serve companies that are under a certain size. Yeah, it, you know, just based on the economic model of a company, there are some companies which have sales teams to go and find B2B opportunities for themselves. And that really has a limiting factor on how small you can go. A lot of the large sales teams, you can't pay for that if your small businesses are at most going to be a few thousand dollars worth of revenue a year. So in many ways, small business was left out right? It was just left out of this this movement. It was so well done for large companies that it actually created a natural floor. I love that you call it a movement. And that's really how I think you talk about this connected banking that, hey, this movement is already won over enterprise and, and the mid-market, but it hasn't really yet come to the small business. And you're bringing it in through this I wouldn't say Trojan horse, but through this place that they already are very familiar with, which is the bank account. I think it's interesting for listeners of this podcast to hear about directions that we thought about that we didn't choose and hear why. Mm-hmm. And there was one that we initially thought about that we first brought to the team, yeah. which was connected finance. Well, what happened? When we, we played it on the team, everybody started trying to implement, okay, how would I actually use this term, whether you're customer success or growth or product. And they said, you know, it's too amorphous, right? Finance is such an, a universal word. It can mean everything from lending to bookkeeping to banking. It wasn't easy to kind of wrap your hands around. So they they kind of said like, you got to go back to the drawing board with this because we would say this and people would not give you that nod. Like, oh, I know exactly what you're doing. Teams often struggle to get to the narrative. The challenge is like you said, there's all these different ideas and they're not wrong. So to land on one is going to exclude some things or at least exclude some things at the highest level when we talk about it. And that was tough for your team. You want to talk about, I don't know, whatever you feel comfortable sharing about that? I think it was one of the healthiest conversations we had ever had. But because we had not ever really had it explicitly, it just brought a whole lot of baggage with it around long settled notions that everybody had over what we did and, and what our value proposition was. You know, we came to the table. I remember one of the folks on the micro team we put together, she had just joined, I think, three months prior to getting started. So her memory of this was like, I actually, I struggle to explain what we do to my friends when they say, what's your job about? And different people, depending on when they had joined the company, had their own version of what they thought it was all about. And the hardest thing about it was that most of the folks on the team, they're not small business owners, right? Some of them have been in the past, but for all intents and purposes, they're not. And so there was this double whammy of saying, you know, we might talk about something internally, but we have to recognize that the kind of businesses that we serve who are more than not on Main Street, they're not living in a startup ecosystem, nor should they. We have to put ourselves in their shoes. And also make sure that this is a word that means something to us. Also, some folks on that team, they didn't come from a sales pedigree, 
right? Typically, they had really been a mass market B2C experience set. And so their conditioning and their training had been around how do you catch attention and then figure out how to communicate the value problems, which is not wrong. But when we were you know, talking about the kind of small businesses that we were focusing on, it wasn't just about can, I, can their eyeballs just wide open a little bit, but we're actually thinking about there's an intellectual journey we need to bring them on that really gets them excited about something that is kind of a heavy lift, which is to change your bank account. But I would say that being on the flip side of it, you almost can't really remember the times when we thought about it so differently. So <laughs> it certainly, it certainly has uh, has transformed folks. We actually even paused the engagement for like a week because I think folks were like, "Hey, are we really going to do this?" And you had a lot of conversations with people, and I think you, eventually you all came to what you just said, which is that, "Hey, we have to have this conversation." How is this narrative playing in the world? What's happening? Tell me about that. It's really important to think about the context in which this narrative was received, right? It's not that we had an old sales pitch that this is just the next version of it. This was maybe the first time that we had to truly articulate a comprehensive way of talking about both the value proposition, the vision, and the very product itself all at once in a pretty graceful fashion. So the very concept of it was almost foreign to folks at the company. And that's actually was the source of a lot of the tensions, right? We had even discussed before even starting, this is like at the edge cases of where the strategic narrative is classically played and can we make it work in the space? So we didn't know when we presented it the first time to the company, what's going to happen. First, I presented to the leadership team, then I presented it to the company. And honestly, the feedback was cathartic. People said like, now finally, it's everything makes so much sense. It's at the end of the movie when you have this like one reveal that makes all these kind of little clues connect the dots. They said, now I understand why we've been talking about this. Now I understand this design choice we made. And you realize that they were all micro issues that had never turned into some sort of big glaring problem to solve. But now that you could connect the dots for folks, it's allowed, for example, our customer facing people like customer support and compliance to have a new way of talking about the product. It's allowed new ways for the marketing team to articulate the value proposition very powerfully. It's allowed the engineers and the product folks to talk about the long-term game plan and how we have to be able to deliver that from a tactical way, but also strategic way. And it's now become like a lingua franca of the company. I mean, the term connected banking makes its way into everybody's words without my pushing it. I thought I was going to have to really hammer this home for months. Um, but really not. People really took to it. And I think that's the first step. But the one that lit it up for me was actually seeing customers talk to me about that. So we've been talking about this vision, this strategic narrative on LinkedIn, on Twitter, in customer emails, et cetera. And I've had customers write back to me saying like, this is really compelling, right? This is a, a really interesting thing. I never thought of it because I think at least in our space, you know, banks have done such a good job of standardizing the bank offering. It actually needs a little imagination to think that that bank account can be more than what you actually you see in 99% of the other ones. And so it allows our customers to open the aperture of what we could possibly do for them, which has actually made you know, the, the sales process of the value proposition is so much easier. It's not incongruent. It's not like, why are you talking to me about this other thing? They really are expecting us to have a broader mandate than simply, can we support your, your business banking? We talked about receivables and payables, things that they thought were the accountant's job or the back office job. It was a really lovely to see the way that they've even picked up on that language in their communications just with me. I mean, I email our customers every day, so I, I do get to see a lot of those, those reps. You said we had to articulate all these things together for the first time. 
Was this because of your up-leveling of the target from like one in two people operations to slightly bigger companies too? We had really looked through our customer base and we saw that those who were thriving on the product, they tended to be slightly larger companies. They tended to have a little more complex back office needs. And the way that you had to talk to them was fundamentally different than people whose companies were had a fairly linear business model. Think of, you know, a photographer, you get the contract, you do the shoot and you get paid. And every now and then you buy new equipment. There's not a lot of complexity that needs to go on other than tax time. But when all of a sudden you're a business that has three, four business lines, has people in sales, people in support, the complexity is very hard to wrap your head around. And so we had to tap into that part of their pain, which was more nuanced and required a broader value proposition. And because we had decided we're really going to want to crack that, that was a, a foundational strategic part of, of what we wanted to do. It just became so obvious, like, well, we, we have to understand how to talk to them mm -hmm. um, in, a, in a more effective way. There, or, there, or at least the, the hypothesis that perhaps there is a different way to talk to them. We have to discover it. And when we first started working together, I think the messaging on your website was small business banking made for America, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And you arrived at that basically through A-B testing. Yeah. We're a very empirical group. And so we landed on the one that seemed to constantly be creating the most amount of value when it comes to simply the funnel dynamics. But does that actually communicate the clarity on what you're getting after that funnel? And that required taking a step back to move two steps forward, right? Maybe... Yeah, taking away for a moment our quantitative hats and actually thinking about it from a strategic angle saying, okay, now how do we actually communicate strategically what we want to do? And then we can actually go and use our tools to surround that in the best way possible. So I think one thing you're saying is like, we're going to give up some traffic, some conversions in favor of having a clear message for the target we're looking for in the yeah. hopes that that'll translate to the right kind of customers coming in who we who are going to be more valuable for us and, and vice versa. Yeah, it was this understanding we had that not all traffic was created equal. The customers who are really being successful with the product, it's not that they didn't respond to that first one, but it's that when you actually allow them to see the strategic narrative side of things, it just gave them this real that aha moment understanding that we had not been able to give them when we were doing you know a purely quantitative approach to conversion and funnel management. And that was an unlock. Can you share a couple of the capabilities you've introduced under the connected banking narrative that convey what you're talking about? Absolutely. And it's wonderful because our work together really coincided with the product taking a major step forward into that space. That vision had always been part of it, right? It was just finally our ability to articulate it as such is so powerful. Shortly after we had this connected banking way of talking about what we do, we were then able to launch an anchor feature, which is what we call North One invoice payments, which is the ability of a customer to forward an unpaid invoice or to upload it to North One and then we extract all the relevant information, load it up into a draft payment, schedule that payment for the last possible minute. And then all that the owner has to do is just approve it. You know, classically, if you think about a bank account, that's really not where they play. I mean, there are many tools you can plug in for that, but bank accounts typically would stop at, you know, we let you pay things. And it was actually part of this understanding that a bank account in many ways is a point solution. Right? It happens at a particular moment in a process, you have the need to go into your account and to let a payment go. And what we actually were able to do with connected banking was connect that point solution to a flow that's happening in the business, whether we want to call it out explicitly or not, which was someone received that unpaid invoice and had to go figure out how to pay it. 
And the problems that they had was that you miss the invoice, you get late fees, you know, you get a vendor relationship on the rocks, mental burdens that you don't really need. And for us, what we were able to do with this connected banking approach was actually help them understand that that bank account will connect into that process. Conversely, the other big one that is fresh off the books is what we call a revenue dashboard, which is taking your bank account and connecting it to your sales data from your PayPal account, your Square account, Etsy, Amazon, a number of others. And the idea being that there's so much cash that you have outside of your bank account, but you don't know it when you look at your balance. So can we literally, you know, no pun intended, but connect your bank account and the numbers and then the cash in your bank account to the cash that's sitting elsewhere. So you can actually see a complete picture of what you have. Yeah. Like for a big business, how much cash do we have on hand? It, like that's a question you can probably go to some dashboard and find out. But for really small business, like you said, we're selling on Etsy, we're selling through Square. We actually got all these like, multiple accounts in all these different places. So your revenue dashboard is like providing one view of that. And they all pay out at different speeds, right? Some of them pay out net seven, net five, net three. And so it's not obvious if you're about to make some meaningful meaningful expenditures to know that off the cuff, do I have enough or am I safe because I have a payable right after and then I have rent coming up. This allows you to finally connect the different places that, that you hold money. And this and that's really at the essence, that's the truest definition of connected banking, right? Yeah. It's really yeah. going beyond the bank account, but into the obvious places that it should be. We heard with customer interviews, all these problems and struggles that the small business owners have with their banks or with their money. And I think what was really interesting was your insight that really this is all about the disconnection, that the, everything you're talking about right now is simply that that connected revolution didn't come to them yet. You know, I had the benefit of having gotten a glimpse into the future. I saw what this was doing in larger companies once upon a time. It, you, it doesn't take an enormous amount of imagination to realize that if there was a way for the same transformation to happen in a small business, it could be incredibly transformative for them. My own background, I grew up in a family of small business owners and they don't have the buffer for wasted resources. The room for errors is so small. And, and you talk to customers, you hear the problem, like it's because it's not connected. Nothing is, the data is not talking to each other. The tools don't interoperate. But if we could do that for you, this whole problem goes away. And I, you know, it's about three business days a month on average that our customers are spending on what we call it finance ops, like all the, the finance management. It's, it's taking away real time that they yeah. could be building the business or spending with their families, whatever they want. One thing that we're doing that I haven't done so much with other CEOs I've worked with in the past is we've been continuing on and building, I guess mostly they've been marketing communications, but not all, that incorporate the narrative. And that's been really fun for me. We did some LinkedIn posts that were the announcements of these new features you just talked about in the frame of the narrative. Do you want to talk about how that's going for you? Since we actually spent time you know, deliberately working on crafting the strategic narrative, we've done what I call like long tail work, implementation work on it, which was preparing a pitch for the company itself internally to make sure the team could get on board, thinking about how we frame product launches through the guise of our strategic narrative. And that's actually been very selfishly so important for my own ability to see how this narrative can express itself in different places. It's always the same idea, but how do you talk about it when you're talking about LinkedIn? How are you doing when it's a product email to a customer? How do you think about it on a team audience? And so every time I get to see this narrative in a different light, it allows me to unlock, okay, this is how I would apply it. And I think the thing that I've actually gained about it is when you take at bats with this narrative in very unusual places, you know, if the only place we had ever put it was a sales deck, I don't think we would have seen the way that it can talk when you're talking to an employee of the company, when you're talking to investors, when you're talking to customers. And the more that I get about that, the more 
almost like the more power I can extract from this narrative, which has actually not changed, but it's really understanding the mediums, the audiences, and how you triangulate for that. And I think you're working with a firm now to build a new website too, right? We knew that we wanted to go through an internal brand transformation or a brand evolution, I'd call it. And we knew that if we did that without the narrative first, it would actually almost be starting to paint the house without it fully having been built yet. Like you wouldn't know where all the pieces go. And so thankfully, as a result of us having had this as a fixture going into this work, we, when we bring in third-party support and particular items of that you know, brand evolution, where we t- do it on a team level, it's allowed us to have this immutable anchor. And, and having gone through these kind of brand refreshes before, when you don't have that, there's the potential of spinning and, you know, last in gets like the, the loudest voice or the last idea that someone read about is what like carries the day. It makes it a little more timeless. And then there are kind of guardrails for the exercise. And that's actually been really helpful when we talk to, you know, third-party experts that are helping us. We say, look, this is an anchor um, and we've got to build around this. And that actually cr- allows them, I think, to really maximize their impact because otherwise mm-hmm. there's just mm-hmm. so many variables that are up in the air. Mm-hmm. Great. You sent a version of to your investors as well. Is that right? So we had a board meeting coming up and we thought about, look, we absolutely wanted to communicate this to the investors just because they're shared partners on our journey. And so it's just helpful for them even to learn how to talk about us in this way. I guarantee you each one of them had their own variation of how they talked about what the company did. And so I recorded a video of it. I thought it was going to be a little awkward to just pause a meeting in the middle and just start going through a, a, a pitch. But we sent it in advance and said, look, this is a framing and we're going to be using these terms to talk about ourselves from now on. And it was actually really wonderful because in the meeting itself, they started using the term connected banking, really thinking about that part of it. It it resonated with them. Our investors are coming from all parts of the world. They have different things going on, different portfolios. They're not thinking necessarily on like, how do I best express what the company is doing or where it's heading? I think they just know notionally and to be able to share with them Um, this shared language with us. I can't wait until we eventually are able to have some sort of town halls of the company where we bring in our investors and we're all going to be talking the same language. It's a really powerful thing. And, you know, for anyone, especially when we were in early stages, investors and early stage employees are always talking different languages, not for any bad reason, but they just come from such different parts of the ecosystem. And so to actually give them a common base upon which they can talk about this project that we're on, which is North One, it's really impactful. That's great. Last question. Any advice you have for CEOs who are thinking about building a strategic narrative? What do you think would have been nice to know ahead of time or might make them more successful? I think it's a, it's actually the commitment, right? It's not about this could be a fun project to do and that would be really cute. It's about wrapping your head around <laughs> if this if this thing does work the way you, you're hoping it works, it actually requires some permanent changes. And you have to actually reverse engineer where those changes are going to take place. It'll take place with your leadership team, with your team, with your communication styles, having not necessarily realized the amount of inertia people would have to adjusting the way they spoke. I would have probably spent more time surfacing the problem before starting the work, you know, talking about how, hey, look, do you notice how we're talking about this in a different way? We did it a little bit, but given just how calcified old ways of talking about our the company were and the product, 
I would have even, I've done even more than that. I would have made it, you know, a clear, what I call like a burning platform for change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To your credit, when we did have that stop, I think you made the case to your team. The fact that this is hard is evidence we need to do it. I think you said something like that. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's exactly it. The fact that we're struggling with it, it demonstrates that this is clearly a need that we have to solve. The other thing I would add is, I think that there's a moment in time when the strategic narrative is the right tool for a company. I think if we had done this too early, it wouldn't have let the market help us understand where our original vision may have been off the market. And you know, we've gone through many iterations and dead ends and wrong turns with the product that we said are to kind of come to where we are today with an offering that you know sings for some of the customers that we have, sings for the team. There's a moment of readiness there. And I think it's different in every company. But it's actually picking up the signals that the cake is sufficiently baked that now is the time to really think about what you're going to call it. And if we didn't have customers who were like thriving with the product, loving it, that give us the feedback about it, it would have been almost a, an academic exercise. We had to have had that strong product market fit with a core amount of customers to be able to use this as a as a place to always revert. Well, what did the customer say about this? How do our customers respond to that? Because otherwise you're just back in pre-seed days when it's all about ideas and what it could be and what it might be. And you just don't know. Yeah, I find there is this point that's kind of the sweet spot. Well, there's a few points. Some of them come later when the company is like really big and acquiring lots of other companies. But the early point is when, like you say, there is some traction. You can call it product market fit or whatever. And we're kind of scaling that. One CEO said to me once, we've achieved a lot, but it's been like brute force of the founders. And now I'm not going to be in every meeting. I think you alluded to that. I need to provide this North Star for everyone. I mean, it's a form of personal leverage, right? The brute force works to a certain point, but imagine the acceleration you get when that leverage, you can actually get more people rowing in the same direction. And if you have the privilege to have your company live long enough that you can have that kind of a situation, you definitely want to get that leverage if you can get it, if it's available. There's so many things I've learned or validated working with Aton and North One. The stuff I always talk about how, yeah, strategic narrative is the great aligner and how sometimes what feels like failure is actually a step in the right direction. But I'd also like to call out how much fun it's been watching North One embrace the narrative as a frame for product. To see what I'm talking about, go to Aton's LinkedIn feed and check out some of his latest product announcement posts. They're all framed by this connected banking story. The Bigger Narrative is produced and edited by me, Andy Raskin, with music by Stephen Emerson and podcast cover art by Angela May Chen. Carla Borelli inspired the show by telling me I should do it over coffee. Thanks to Aton Ben Susan, Justin Adler, Allison Zwirling, Brandon Carlos, and everyone at North One. Special thanks also to Judy Raskin, Richard Raskin, Emily Raskin, Eli Raskin, Anne Randolph, Kelly Watkins, and Carol Wasserman. And remember, the company story is the company strategy. Mm-hmm.